0: Ten years ago, the world shook as Paizo's Pathfinder role-playing game was unleashed on the world and caused a cataclysm in the gaming industry. Millions partook in countless adventures. No foe was insurmountable, no challenge too daunting. The victories were overwhelming and too many to count. All was good in the land of Galarian. However, as with all things, what was once new becomes old, and tastes change. The people of Pathfinder became restless and lazy in their triumphs. They were striving for a new challenge, a new task to rekindle that spark of adventure. But behold, the dawn has awoken, and Pathfinder version 2 is on the horizon of being unleashed onto the world. But before that glorious day, the forces of Paizo have called the Roll for Combat team to partake in their greatest adventure to date, the Pathfinder Playtest.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Roll for Combat. I'm your GM and host, Steven Glicker. And in this week's special episode, I'm sitting down with Steven Radnate McFarlane, From Paizo, Senior Designer of Pathfinder, and we talk about the Pathfinder playtest for about an hour. We talk about all the things you want to know about. We talk about residence points, we talk about magic shops, we talk about why Stevens are evil. You'll hear all that and more in today's special episode. We go into extensive detail about the playtest We talk a lot about how they're setting it up, what they're going to be doing with those forms, how they're going to update and change the game when it finally gets released next year, pretty much everything you want to know about the Pathfinder playtest we talk about for the next hour. For those of you new to the show, we normally play the Starfinder Dead Son's Adventure Path on a weekly basis. We also play Starfinder Society on a regular basis, and we are about to start up some Pathfinder playtest as well. So if you like actual play podcasts, do check us out. We come out every single week and often more often than that. In addition, we often have people from Paizo on this show quite a bit, always talking about things Paizo-related. For example, now we're talking about Pathfinder. Next week, we're probably going to be talking about Starfinder. But if you like Paizo products, then this is the show for you. Otherwise, sit back and listen to my interview with Stephen from Gen Con. Hey everyone, this is Steven Glicker from Rule for Combat, and I'm sitting today with another fellow Steven. We have Steven Radney McFarlane, who is a senior designer at Paizo, and we're going to be talking about Pathfinder and the Pathfinder Playtest, is that (laughs) correct?
2: That's exactly what we're going to be talking about today.
1: So, let's get right into it, because everyone wants to know, and everyone's talking about Pathfinder Playtest, what did you do on the Pathfinder playtest as a senior designer?
2: Oh, wow. Um, well, a lot. I, I mean, really, a- any kind of playtest like this, mostly that comes out of Paizo, comes from uh, the entire staff. But the, the, the design team of, of Jason, who is uh, the, the director of game design, um, uh, Logan Bonner, who's uh, another designer, and Mark Seifter, who's, who's the third designer, Mostly it was tasked to us to come up with uh, the, the systems and the content for the game in general. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a systems guy, and so uh, I did the main design of the action economy, which saw its Pathfinder premiere in um, uh, Unchained. All right. And it's an action economy in various iterations that I've been playing with uh, for a long period of time. Um, I also uh, was the lead design for both the Ranger and the Alchemist class, uh, did a lot of uh, uh, secondary design work on the Fighter and the, the, the Rogue class, did big chunks of the skill system, a bunch of... I mean, the, the, the hard part is when you have a team effort that really, really comes in, it's, it, it's, it becomes hard to pick out exactly what you did.
1: But in general, you, but you were working more on like, the, the mechanical system engine... Of the game itself, yeah, yeah,
2: and the underlying architecture—things okay. um, uh, like uh, how the traits were going to work, and 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 how those were mechanically manifested, and 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 what they did, what were good traits, and what were bad traits, and and which you know, we're, throughout the playtest, we'll still find out more information about those uh, and how to present them, and 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 how they work with the entire system.
1: So. We're not going to jump off into the deep end just yet because I could talk about systems for hours because to me and I actually Mark Steifer and I were talking for probably an hour about the math behind it and um, I'm into systems like so when I read this book you know everyone else is talking about how they play because I'm a GM and they're players. And to me, and since I'm a programmer at heart, I'm very much into systems Mm -hmm. and how it's built and how it can be expanded. So I looked at it, and it looked almost like a programming language of how it was built very modular. But before we get into the deep end, because we can talk (laughs) about that. I can really get into that. Let's not get into that just yet. So let's just talk about the Pathfinder playtest in general. So it came out, obviously. We have the Pathfinder Mm playtest. We have the Bestiary, which I was flipping through this morning. And they have. It's big. I didn't know it was going to be like oh, yeah, well over hundred pages. Yeah, so there's a lot in there, and
2: and, it, and it's crammed. It's very compact. There's like no artwork in it, mm-hmm. um, and it's just basically stat blocks and and, and uh, sorry new players, we kind of throw you to the wolves. It's all like hey, you might want to look up what this monster looks like in some other book or online somewhere, right. but uh, you know it's it's for the playtest. Well, if you need
1: to look up what a dragon looks like or right, what a right. goblin looks like,
2: yeah, but there's more obscure monsters. <laughs> than, yeah, there are. No, there yeah. definitely
1: are. I was looking through it. Um, and then, obviously, you have Doomsday Dawn, mm-hmm. which is the seven-part adventure. Right. But don't forget, which isn't included in the bundle, but you still also have the Pathfinder Society adventures. Right. Yeah. And actually, I've been playing those. Oh yeah. And I like those because they're short and sweet. Yeah. The um, Doomsday Dawn is is interesting, but it's actually pretty uh, packed. It yes. requires a bit of work on both the players and the DM. Um, which isn't a bad thing, but I liked almost the Pathfinder Society because we literally just jumped right in, right, and it was easy to like start playing.
2: Yeah, in a lot of ways, I think if if you're going to jump in and you have the chance to play the Pathfinder Society ones, those might be really good for you to just get you know good taste of the system uh, to sort of get the wheels running. Maybe the first chapter as well mm-hmm. um, uh, before you start going into Doomsday Dawn, which which is a kind of more Traditional, you know, uh, uh, dense, densely packed group of adventures.
1: Let's talk about this whole playtest concept. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys are not uh, new to this. Like, you do this a lot with some of your classes. You've done this in the past where you put out classes and you significantly change them. But I think this is the first time you've done it for an entire system.
2: Well, that's not, uh, that's not true. Uh, oh, okay. uh, the, the original Pathfinder beta, oh, after the betas right. came out and, and, uh, that's right. and, you know, and poor Jason back in the day before, you know, uh, myself and, and, and Mark and Logan came on, he had to do that basically all by himself. Uh, of course, our audience is much larger now, but, I, I've been friends with Jason for a long time and I was working at Wizards of the Coast when he was doing that and just kind of I was worried about my friend. He's, <laughs> that was, that was a, a lot to go through. And so uh, now we're going to handle the burden with that. It, we're also doing the playtest fundamentally different. Uh, we, of course, are going to listen to message boards and the feedback that people have, uh, both positive and negative. Uh, although kids stop being so darn negative on the internet. I know it's very <laughs> popular, but cut it out. It's passe. Uh but we're also going to do a bunch of surveys and be a little bit uh uh more scientific, at least in, in some key points that we're really interested to see how people actually play rather than how you know, how they feel about things and, and, and write about them online.
1: But even with the original Pathfinder, like that was still based on three five, you know, it's yeah. like people call it three seven five.
2: Right. Like yeah. this is
1: brand new, you know, built from the ground up. Obviously, if you read it, it feels like it. You know, mm-hmm. I like. I mean, I can talk again about the three action economy to death. I was talking to Param from No Direction a lot, mm-hmm. and he's like. Cause he is insane, and he knows like every rule from every system of every book, and oh, he's yeah. like, "This was from that, and this, like, as you said, the three action economy like, oh, that was already in. Oh, was it Ultimate? Uh, uh, it was U- uh, Ultimate uh,
2: Combat or Pathfinder Unchained?
1: Unchained, right? Yeah. It was in Unchained. Like he said, like a lot of the systems that you find in Pathfinder Two were actually in Pathfinder products. This is the first time that you've actually put it all together, though. Yeah, into like a cohesive system.
2: Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, we wanted to capitalize on the things that that really make pathfinder uh, well loved and and special and like we also wanted to you know fix the the problems that we knew were in the 3.5 system i mean i i, I worked on the development of 3.5 like i've been working on the system for a long time and 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 over the period of time saw saw the saw the issues um, Sometimes it took me a number of years to sort of realize exactly what the issues were. But, you know, with fractional progression and everything else, we knew that that was it it was a great system, mostly at low and mid levels, but it was it was breaking down at higher levels. And as we started to realize exactly why it was doing that, we, we, we came up with solutions. So the other thing I was going to say is
1: also one thing you've noticed is like We're almost up to second or even third generation of role-playing game systems, Mm -hmm. and that people are like really starting to get the hang of it. Like you know, it's funny when you think about like we were just talking about this last night. Like first edition, our first level wizard, they had like one hit point and can cast one spell, and they knew three weapons, and that was it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I cast my magic missile. See you guys. I'm going home. I'm done for the day. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just a very different mentality. And nowadays, and then even 3, five kind of addressed a lot of that, but now when you see Pathfinder 2, it's like we're, right, we're going right. from one and back down, that everyone can do a lot at first level. You yeah. know, it's no longer the old, oh, well, wizards are really weak at first level, and then they become gods at, like, higher levels. Right. But now it's like they can, they can do a lot even at the first levels, and they still become gods at higher levels. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I mean... You know, the funny thing about it is, you, if you go back, I like to do a lot of rules archaeology, and I also have a lot of friends who have been in the industry for, for a good long time, and I try to pick their brains, and they're like, Stephen, I don't remember. <laughs> and um, these have been actually issues that have been in the game since Jump Street, right? Uh, I, I mean, you can go to the you know, Sage Vice and, 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 uh, and Dragon Letters and, and whatnot, and, and there was this bad tendency, I think, in the beginning of the game in the beginning a role playing game, it's the designer went here is my design, love it, and people did. But then they were like, "But why does my wizard keep on dying? Why? Like, can I do more with my wizard?" No, I did that on purpose. And as we move forward and make different iterations of uh, of this kind of design, uh, I like to think that uh, us, we as designers, because we're designing games for for us in some ways. Like we love we love these games, but for the for you, right? I, I mean, you guys, I, I enjoy designing games that people love and live in for long periods of time. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I don't really, I have no interest in going into computer games, right? Because they seem too transitory to me. There's some great computer games out there and there's some great designs. But the thing about like role playing games and a lot of board games and card games and everything else, these are games that people just love forever, right? And they, they daydream about at work and, and everything else. And I I just enjoy uh, attempting to design the best iterations of uh, of those types of games. So let's jump a little bit
1: into design. So you talk about some of the pitfalls. It's funny. Did you guys actually sit around and say, okay, these are the issues that we need to address? Because it seems like there's there were three things that I hear about all the time for years. Yeah. And all of them were addressed in the Pathfinder playtest, which which was stunning to me. First of all, was Magic stores, right? Like the whole concept of being able to go out and just find and buy or even make anything. But now you have, as part of the core rules, the rarity system, which makes it fantastic that we, as the GMs, don't have to be the bad guys. Yeah. We, we could just say, Oh, you want that, like, Vorpal sword? Yeah, that's unique. Good luck. Right. You just can't find it. And then they're going to be like, Oh, you're just being a mean GM. It's like, no, it's, it's unique. Yeah. Like you can't find it. That's part of the core rules. And then even for making stuff, because everyone's like, well, Why don't I just open up a magic store and just sell things for a living? And you even address that in downtime mode where you can even make money while you're sitting around for a month in Mm -hmm. a village just doing nothing. You actually even put that in. Now... I know a lot of other people might not think it's a big deal, but to me, I was like, that is, like, the greatest invention in role-playing I've seen in a long time. I'm like, you actually have a system that doesn't look broken, that actually looks fun, right. on how you can make money when you're not adventuring, and, at the same time, how you can actually make items and sell them without breaking the system.
2: Right. And, well, yeah, we we worked really really hard on that, and uh ho- hopefully... Hopefully the playtest will either show us that we're we we did it exactly right or are in the right direction or will point out exactly where we need to go fix it because we, we we do realize that different people have different play styles like I might like old school dungeon crawly let's just keep on fighting until we drop um, but uh, there are plenty of people out there who, who who like political intrigue and 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 town politics and you know, can I build up a financial empire? And, and and we want people to be able to do that as well with a system that doesn't make you go, oh, crap, I don't want to do that, right? That's way too complicated or way too onerous or, 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 or whatever, uh, you know, something that, again, when we make a system, we want people to be able to use the system, understand the system, and even benefit from that system uh, in, in the way that it's intended. A lot of times, I think designers... They'll design a system like crafting, and it's just so weird and complicated. It's basically, yeah, it's in the rules, but don't use it. Well, the thing is
1: 3.5, it almost was necessary for you to have a crafter because mm-hmm. if you didn't find what you needed, why buy it when you can make it mm-hmm. and you can make anything? So it was it was like it just became part of like a standard operating procedure, like right. you would have a crafter. but. I really like the Pathfinder Two system where you have to find the blueprint. So it doesn't even yeah. matter. It's like it's like oh, you want to make that thing? Yes, you put, and you have to be the level. So you can't make high level items. You actually have to be the level. So again, it 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 puts in all these in video game terms gates. Like yes. it puts in a lot of gates, but they're very natural. Right. And they're built into the system as yeah. opposed to artificial. Yeah. And I'm very curious to see what the playtest of people really. I love it. Yeah. And. And people might think, oh, you're, you're, you're limiting what I can do. I can't make my verbal sword at level two. Why not?
0: <laughs> <You
2: know>? Right. <laughs> well, and the answer is, yeah, we are limiting what you can do. And even, even more so, we're, we're at least showing you the limits and, and mostly showing you GM the limits. So allowing that person uh, and, and you all to, to, cre- to create the story that makes sense to you, right? I think uh, it's a non-controversial statement that creating a vorpal weapon at second level is kind of garbage. I know somebody on the internet will write a diatribe uh, correcting me on that assumption. <laughs> but, yeah, like, we wanted it to make sense. We wanted we wanted it to be uh, easy to remember as well, where you didn't have to go flip through books, you know, and like, how does crafting work again? Like, what is the formula? It's like, we we want to give you a very simple formula.
1: But it also gives you, you know what, it's it's almost kind of like the MMO formula with, I don't know, like uh, Mark Steifer says, there's, he's like, oh, I didn't know we did that. Like it is it is a little MMO-y in the sense you have the rarity system, yep. and then you have to go out and like find formulas to actually craft items. Yes. You know, World of Warcraft does very similar. I mean, a lot of them do it. Mm-hmm. But you know, in the same sense, it's not a bad system. No, like, exactly. It, it works very well. Right. So why not, quote, borrow from it and, yeah, yeah. and make it part of Pathfinder? Well, and
2: that's, you know, uh, from time to time, I haven't done it for for a number of years, but I also teach game design classes in in the Seattle area. and And I remember I, I've got this one uh, lesson that I, I, I like a lot. And It's a little dated now, but it's all like uh, I say. I tell them Dungeon the Dragons, World of Warcraft, uh, uh, Farmville. They're the same game. And let me show you mathematically why that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end, so it's I've, I've blown my uh, my students' minds, and they're like, Oh uh, I the no, slot machine mechanic. Yeah, it's very much the yes. slot machine mechanic. So game design is a discipline, and it's an art, and it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, you're, you're, you're not only going to, to see things in other games and go and, and it's going to make you go, oh, oh yeah, you can do that, right? You're going to find things throughout the world, you know, in economics and mathematics and philosophy and, and, and everything else, and bring those things in and, and create better systems over time, or at least that's the goal.
1: So I mentioned three things. So I mentioned that's two, but the third one is summoning. Yeah. Which is, I actually don't even allow it in my game because especially it's like, <laughs> oh, I summon five level one creatures to muck up the battlefield. Right, right. But with the attacks of opportunity gone, yeah. it's like, oh, go summon all you want because yes. I'll just run around them. I don't have to worry about it. attack of opportunity, like 10 attacks of opportunity. My big issue with summoning is that it slows down the game to a crawl. Yes. And it, it's just too slow. But between the attacks of opportunity, between the two, three attack system, between the fact that I think summoners only get two attack two um two actions two yeah. actions anyhow mm-hmm. um and Starfinder has a summoning class that we've been playing for a year now and we think it works really well yeah. that it looks like summoning I want to try it but it looks like it's finally taking a step in the right direction that it's not game breaking and can probably still be fun right and it doesn't seem to slow down the game quite a bit
2: yeah and that was definitely like you know we'd seen the summoner class. We'd seen summoning in the 3.5 example for a long period of time. We knew what we knew what was fun about that and not fun about that, right? You know, summoning crazy creatures on the battlefield, great fun. Uh, having them be able to do something interesting, great fun. Uh, being slogged down in attacks of opportunity and all sorts of other rigmarole, not fun. And so, yeah, it turns out, um, as 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 I like to tell people, we get to make this crap up, so we can. We can capitalize on what's really good and, and get rid of the things that are really bad. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you get invested in a system over a period of time and, and Pathfinder's 10 years old and it's based on a game that's even older, you, you're going to get people who are really in love and invested in that system <laughs> who are going to get a little grumpy about that. And I understand that, right? I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a grognard at heart. It, it is also our job to, to, to build a better mousetrap and, and, that's that's all we're really trying to do, and with with P two.
1: So three action economy, mm-hmm. which I've tested it out, and I love. But the bigger one is, where and how did the tax of opportunity? Who decided get rid of that? Because we've played a fair amount now, and wow, that is so great getting rid of a tax of opportunity. Because so we were in a system, a, a situation where there was all the bad guys. Yeah. And they were, you know, getting slaughtered. And then I'm like, you know what? They run away, and they just what? run right by you. And then the oh, my players like, what are you? What? What's going on? He's running away. Right. And then I'm like, go chase them. And they're literally running through the streets. And there was like, this huge chase. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Like people are just running. And then also the wizards and like the clerics and the spellcasters. They're like, oh, I'm all the way in the back. And then they <laughs> they get slaughtered. They're getting, like, people going right up to them. And, like, they're yelling at the, you know, the fighters to protect them. I'm like, this is, it's almost like a whole new game.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's
1: really amazing. So, wait, two-part, so first part so, question so, is <laughs> who decided, to, and what prompted you to get rid of the tax of opportunity? Well, so
2: we'd fooled around with that in the beginner box, right? Uh, so when we did the beginner box, we, we basically scraped out a tax of opportunity from it. And as people... Uh, played that game and commented that they actually really enjoyed that it actually opened up the uh, the game a whole bunch Which made us really think when we started working on the playtest that? We wanted attacks of opportunity in the game and attacks of opportunity are still in the game but we giving it to everybody didn't make sense to us and so Marshall a- anybody Anybody can get a tax of opportunity. Any player can get a tax of opportunity. You might have to wait a while. You might have to jump through some hoops. But the fighter gets it right off the bat. And that felt uh, good and natural. And a, a fair number of martial monsters have it as well. And so a, a counter to your example, right. I, uh, my players have become very savvy of, well, go send the fighter to test out if, if these monsters have attacks of opportunity. Right. Um, and so they, uh, at, at about third level, they met a, a very organized group of hobgoblins, and the fighter's like, I'm sure these guys have it, so, but I'm gonna go check. And they let the fighter pass, and he goes, oh, maybe they don't. And so everybody else kind of moves forward, and that's when all of the uh, hobgoblins use their attacks of opportunity on the wizards and the clerics.
1: Yeah, I love doing things that people don't expect. That even just happened in our podcast. Is they encountered bad guys, and they all it's like the bad guys smiled at the PCs and all ran away. Right, and they're like, "Oh, what's going on? Why are yeah. they running away?" They're like, and they're like, "Oh, they must be uh, illusions. Yeah, they're not real." And then they kept <laughs> running, and they're like, they were luring them into a trap. But they're like, "Like, uh, uh I don't like this. Like, stop running away. Like, right. stop doing, stop doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing." But the tax of opportunity, the just that small change, I find. Everyone is playing the game very differently. Yeah.
2: There's a lot more movement. It's it, it so more much cinematic, movement. too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's
1: a lot of movement. And ironically, Valoros, when we played the playtest, he really can move. He's oh, like yeah. very fast. He has all those special abilities. So he went from a fighter in like first edition that would just stand there and just mm-hmm. attack to someone who's like literally running all around the battlefield, killing everything and engaging everyone. It's Which
2: seems b- more like Valoros, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, in a lot of ways, we, we every time we we designed a class, we sort of looked at our iconics as well, and and made sure that it uh, you know it, it fit our idea of of what the iconic fighter is, um, not only just Valoros, but you know how how people like to play these classes. We wanted uh, you know more umph to the paladin and the monk, and so and and we put uh, you know the 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 monk is a very cool class, but it's very stagnant, right? It, uh, you've got to really archetype the, the heck out of it in order to get, um, to get any sort of variation in that class. And that's, that's another thing that, uh, that we wanted to fix.
1: A well, Monk is my favorite class, but it's impossible to run in like three, it, because it's like, oh yeah, here you need everything. Like yeah. you literally need to be good at every single everything, thing, yeah. and it's impossible to right. run. So the other thing that seems interesting and slightly controversial is that you have got rid of Charisma as a dump stat yes finally
2: <laughs> well at least you know so far um yeah we wanted all the stats to matter uh, right and and we had done some work in that direction in like uh, uh ultimate intrigue and, and stuff like that for people who wanted to run campaigns like that but but tying in resonance with with charisma uh was the first one now resonance is a bit of a, a sticky point it's it's probably uh the mechanic that's going to see the most change in development as the playtest goes on
1: yeah, because I know people. It's one of those. Well, they're excited but hesitant because yes. it's like anything that limits PCs. Yeah. I, I mean, you know this. It's like people get very defensive because right. they're like, "Wait, I want to build my PC my way." Yep. But as a GM, I'm like, "Look, you can't." If, you know, well, congratulations, as they say, you've won. You've won Dungeons and Dragons from you know <laughs> right, from community. Right. Like you win. Let's go have something to eat. Like, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, if you want to break the system, you can break the system. But that's not where the fun is, especially as you play longer. Right. You know, it's like when we used to play, of course, we did all the munchkin stuff of making these very powerful characters. And I managed to convince my players. I'm like, let me, try, let me have you try something out. Make broken characters. Mm-hmm. Just trust me on this then now they all do because they're like it's much more fun it's much more interesting and it's even a challenge it's almost like playing on hard mode you know it's like Mm -hmm. it's much more fun to make characters with broken um, abilities or stats and to give yourself limits and then play within those limits oh yeah yeah. it's way more interesting because everyone almost always looks at it from the oh how what can I do as opposed to what I can't do and what opportunities not being able to do things opens up for me in a fun way, not in a limiting way.
2: Exactly, and in a, in a lot of ways, it's um, uh, so. It, it's funny. Everybody looks at resonance as a limiter, and in a certain degree, it is. And and a kind of limiter that uh, a lot of people ask for. Although I do understand that's that's very contentious. It's also, uh, and it has not reached its full potential. Of this, absolutely. It, it's also a way where um, it, it it creates a, an ease of tracking for magical effects that used to be, oh, you can use this twice a day and you can use this three times a day and, and everything else. and Because we'd like to find a way to scrape away as much of those things as possible and have that rely on resonance. And so you can, instead of flipping through your character sheet, how much of this do I have and how much of that do I have and, ha-, and, and everything else, it's like, oh, I've got, re- I've got this much resonance. I can do this, 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 and this, and this. Now, because some of the end design of resonance uh, happened in, in design, uh, or either be, either too early before or too much right. after a lot of the magic item design, yeah, we're gonna have to go back and and make sure that that is realized in the final game. But that also uh, has a lot to do on on what Residence either uh, is developed into or morphs into for the final
1: game. And for the people that don't know, Residence limits how many magic items, basically, yeah, basically. you can use and right. have on your character. And
2: alchemical items as well. So, so right.
1: Yeah. so based on your charisma, you have to, you know, plan ahead. But you do get another residence points every time you level up, because it's based oh, on yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's a lot of level-based systems in the right. in the game itself. So, and even that, I liked a lot, and I mentioned this in the review, that, you know, it used to be in Pathfinder and 3.5 that, oh, this is a bad level. Like, what do you get this level? Like, nothing, you know, nothing. I, got, I got a rock, you know. Yeah, yeah. But this, it's like, even if you get nothing, you get something every level because everything goes up. Yes. Everything yep. goes up yep. every level, so you feel a little more powerful right. no matter what.
2: Mm-hmm. And and I don't think we have any real dead levels uh, in the game. Uh, we, we will see. Yes, yeah, so, we'll right, right, right. That's not our plan, but and somebody will be like, well, I, this, I consider this a dead level. I don't know, level and, 20 and seems kind point. of dead to me. Right, you know? right. And it's all like, well, you know.
1: But so the other item I wanted to talk about yep. was, um, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Because we could do this all day. Mm-hmm. And we might. So uh, dying system. Mm-hmm. So actually, that's one thing I heard a little bit negativity about from the GM point of view. Yep. I was talking to some GMs. It's like it becomes a real pain. So there's a new thing where they have dying levels one, two, three, right. and 4. Yep. But for monsters, you have to keep track of all that. And that will be a pain.
2: Oh no 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 no! Monsters don't don't live in that scheme unless you have a, a like a special villain or okay. something that you want to keep up. No, with monsters zero, they're down. Okay. Um, uh, and 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 there's I, I think there's a sidebar in the in the Okay. List, okay. Uh, uh, so, that says so that. Um, so that
1: long discussion last night, they were wrong all along. Because I was like, right, right.
2: I was like, that sounds. That sounds
1: kind of horrible. If you have yeah. to, to keep track of that, no, that doesn't sound right. No.
2: Um, now, of course, if you if you have a a, a villain NPC or a big baddie that you want to use that system, you're more than welcome to use that system to make them a little bit more, of course. Uh, it's like resolve uh, starfinder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, no. the The whole idea is with the majority of monsters that you face at zero hit points, they're they're gone. They're dead. Yeah. Just there's no. That's, it's dying monster, right? So, (laughs) or dead monster. So
1: the other one I heard a lot of people stunned about, even just in the booth, they're like, I heard hero points are like in the game and it's part of the game. Yeah. And you start off with one hero point every session. Every session. Which is interesting because, so with one hero point, you basically come back from death. Yeah, you stabilize. You stabilize. Right, right. So what was the thinking behind that? Now, that I'm very curious to hear about because... As a GM, I'm like, wow, I feel less bad killing everyone now because I know they get basically one get-out-of-jail-free card every session,
2: which well, can yeah. be good and bad, it, I don't know. It, it can be good and bad. Um, so, in a, in a lot of ways, it, you know, Hero Points is definitely a meta-system, um, and it, it's one of those things that some GMs are just going to go, yeah, I'm not going to use there. Um, We we try to design it in 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 a way that um, uh, organized play could use it right off the bat because you know they uh, they they use a similar system. It's also a little quirky and fun that it doesn't really it 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 affects the game world, but uh, its uh, its triggers don't talk to the game world. Uh, So like oh it's the beginning of a session, which is of course a real life construct, and you get uh, one action or you get one hero point. Uh, if you did something nice for the group, you might get two in the beginning. Like the guy who brought pizza, right? That's it's what uh-huh. my friend said.
1: That's exactly what they and said. They said, "Oh, whoever brings the food gets a hero point. Right. Whoever cleans up after the game gets yep. a hero point." It's like, and like it's like a reward system for real life. It's, exactly. <laughs>
2: um, or, or and you know, a, a good bit of heroic role playing might get you, uh, might get you a hero point. And we realize that there are a lot of groups that are going to go like ah, uh, you're, you're you're meddling too much real life into my fantasy. You know, as they roll 20-sideds on kitchen tables yeah, to figure out if they've killed dragons. But, you know, and that's fine. It's, it's meant to be used if you want to use it um, and to be ignored if you think that's a bit too much. But um, it, it, it is there. Here's, here's the the terrible secret of most role-playing games, or at least one of them, is uh, everybody really wants the game to go on. The GM wants the game to go on. Every player wants a game to go on, and so if you have a little mechanic that sits there and says, oh, are you dying? Do you want to stop dying? Well, once a game, you get to stop dying. People, people tend to like that, even if they groan a little bit at the, at the cheese factor.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've said this on my show, is that I have a love-hate relationship with death, and the way I usually do it is, it takes a lot to actually kill a PC off in yes. my campaign, yeah. but what ends up happening if you, quote, die... Yeah. You end up paying a very heavy price, right? Right. And usually, your your character is permanently damaged or scarred in some way mm-hmm. that goes on for the rest of the campaign. Whether you're brought back from the god, but you know, and then something happens to you. And even in our dead sons adventure, because someone made the disease system way too hard, Jason Keeley, and <laughs> managed to practically, basically kill off Rusty. He got saved by uh, Geveless uh-huh. Um, but he is uh, maybe part undead now. And there's some price to pay for being like that. Yeah, yeah. And the characters are a little wary of him because they're like, you you seem off. And right. It's like, everything's normal. Ignore the stench coming from, you know, like, and it's made fantastically fun role playing, and he's totally bought into it. Yeah. So, as, what, getting back to your point, like, no one... They like the threat of death, because if you don't have the threat of death, then why are you playing and yeah, doing combat? Yeah. But dying and just ending your character can really also be devastating. I oh, mean, yeah. We've heard stories of people crying. And, oh. Yeah, people just, like, you know, going. I mean, there's a lot of those famous stories of people just just being destroyed after their character dies. And... I mean,
2: uh, our publisher, Eric Mona, I've seen him get downright mad. Yeah. <laughs> if his character dies. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I tend to be a little bit more philosophical about it. Uh, but, yeah, because when you build a character and then you play a character over time, that character is a part of you, right? right. It's, it's it's part of the human condition. It's, you know, it's uh, it's storytelling at its finest. It's ultra egos. It's, you know. It, and so, yeah, it, it can be... It can be really hard. So it, it, we we do want the threat of death. And we want you to know where the threat lies. And we want you to be scared when you're in that threat zone. Um, uh, and uh, we and probably your fellow players and your game master want you to be able to have some way to get the heck out of there if you need to. So I think we're deep enough that we could talk about mechanics a little
1: bit. All right. So when I read through this book, and I've heard interviews, is that one of your biggest things is you wanted to make it so that when you build expansions and you expand the game, you yep. don't have to add another magic system right. or another system to the game, which is, like, going to be in one book and then you never add to it ever again. Yes. So, like, for example, you have four schools of magic mm-hmm. that are all fairly even in terms of the amount of attention they got. Mm-hmm. And then even the way you did things like um, like half-orc and half-elf, it wasn't an individual ancestry, like, it was a feat Which I really liked, you know, to actually turn them into that. Yes. Like, again, it seems extremely modular in the system, like powers, spells, feats, and then using these, like, three or four mechanics that you can add almost anything to the mix without having to add new mechanics. Like, you can add psionics, and you can do that. Okay, we can either make those powers, or we can add that as a fifth spell system. Exactly. You don't have to. That was it. Like, ta-da, we added psionics. I don't have to worry about writing all these Rules endlessly for how that works.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. We didn't want to. With a lot of role playing systems, as as you expand them out, it's all like, oh, this has to be drastically different. And you know, the 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 farther you go back in role playing game design, it even goes, you know, into things that really should be similar. Like the the original grappling mechanics in AD and D are just you 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 just look at them and you're like, we're doing something entirely. We're playing a different game now. And so we wanted to come up with a very, uh, very clean core system that could be infinitely expandable and understandable, uh, uh, almost right off the bat, as long as you know the core system. And uh, and so in and we did that for a number of reasons. Not only um, uh, so people could learn the game quickly and play the game uh, evenly, but uh, when it goes out for digital tools, you know the, the programmers don't have to sort of relearn and crack another system. When it goes to, uh, for globalization and, and localization, when it gets translated into another thing, uh, another language, right, it makes it easier for that um, and with expansions. And, and just accessibility, you know, for uh, all, all, all sorts of folks that uh, usually don't play role-playing games for one reason or another, uh, it, it just becomes easy to enter and easy to, um, to expand upon. Right off the bat.
1: So the other thing is that the numbers are really tight. Like for example, like oh, you get a plus three. That's, yeah, that's legendary. Yes, that doesn't seem like a lot.
2: <laughs> well, it definitely doesn't seem like a lot to P1 that sort of had a philosophy of after three five of oh you kids like candy we're going to give you more candy and it really and sometimes and and, and that's a very successful strategy. Uh, in some ways, Games Workshop has been doing that for years. But we actually really looked at the percentages. We we we, we looked at the probability and um, and realized that uh, what that created was was a bunch of auto successes or on the other side of it auto failures at at, at mostly uh, mid to high level to, to very high level, and um, so uh, that that narrowness that people see and have a you know a pretty visceral gut reaction. Is what was a problem with the 3 5 system. And if you look at uh, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, they they solved the same issue by using even narrower numbers. Oh, right? very, um, yeah. And so they saw the problems too, and they came up with their solution, uh, which is which is a good, elegant, and, and playable solution, but we knew it wasn't the right pathfinder solution. Um, and so so, while everybody is, uh, uh, seems a little bit alarmed at, at, at those smaller numbers, trust me, play for a while, you, 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 you'll, be, you'll be fine with them if, even for some of you, somewhat grudgingly.
1: And what about when you get a plus one or plus two weapon? People are like, oh, it doesn't do plus one or plus two damage. It's plus one or plus two dice. Yes. And people are like, whoa, hey, they like that. Oh, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they, they like
2: that one. Um,
1: <laughs> That's the one. They, they, they should have no problem with that.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, uh, on the flip side, uh, monsters and evil NPCs and everything else have the, oh, boy. Have, have the same advantage. So um, what, what that does is, is create, um, mostly at higher level, more exciting combats, right? You know, you feel like you're 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 a heck of a lot more powerful. You also feel like you're going up against heck of a lot more powerful foes. Um, it also uh, uh, helps in slowing uh, or in increasing the the, uh, the the rate of play, and so it does. It doesn't get nearly as grindy as uh, high level play can in in, in P one.
1: Yeah, I mean that was the other system that I was a little hesitant about, which is the crit. If you roll a 10 higher or mm-hmm. um, a critical failure, which oh, 10 lower. Oh, I was too. Lower, yeah, yeah. Until we played, and our first three rolls were crits on both sides. And I was like, oh, I like this system. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I rolled a 19, but yet it's 10 more higher than your AC. You just got critted. They're like... You should you can hear the horror on the other right. side. They're like, well, <laughs> like, What? I was like I was like a 19's a crit? That's not fair. I'm like, oh, I like this system quite a bit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and and you get a lot of players that that they're all like So did that hit? Yeah. Did it crit? Yeah. It's like nope. Oh One off, maybe, you know, Um, so I get that a lot from my players. Yeah, at at first, well, one, we knew we wanted to get rid of uh, confirmation rolls. Um, Okay, yes. uh, And it's not that confirmation rolls weren't mechanically and mathematically sound. They absolutely were. But there's nothing worse than, oh, I rolled a 20. Now let's see if that twenty is actually really what I want that twenty. I can to give be. you something
1: worse that we do all the time. Yeah. You get that crit. Yeah. Then you get the confirmation roll. And then they have concealment. And then oh, they like yeah.
0: 20% mission. Oh, you oh.
1: missed! Let's
0: roll the damage
2: any <laughs> see what you would have done. Oh, 38 damage. Too bad. That's usually why I have people <laughs> roll the the roll the concealment first. Oh no, yeah. we do it after. Oh, we want that's we just want mean the pain. Man. No, we
0: want the pain.
1: <laughs> Well, Stevens are evil, right? Right.
2: Right. Yeah, no, that's true.
1: So actually, though, so we'll go at a diatribe. So you yeah. originally were saying, because I see on your, your business card, you have the anti-paladin. Mm-hmm. And before the anti-paladin had a name, right. you called him Steven.
2: Yeah. I don't think the anti-paladin has a name. Did they give him a name? No, now? they
1: did. They did.
2: Oh, that's not right. No, I know. I d- it's like I... a
1: weird name, too. I forgot what it was.
2: Well, there's an iconic anti-paladin that's part of oh, the that... bench
1: Oh, that's one. That's yeah. the one I'm thinking. But the,
2: but the original anti-paladin, his name is Steven.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. And it's spelled the right way, And it's correct? spelled the right way. That's right. Because so we're both Stevens, and we're talking about how all Stevens are a little evil. Yes. Some more evil than others. Yeah,
2: that's very true. I, I, I mean... Sometimes playfully evil. That would be Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the diabolically evil, Stephen King. Right. Um, sometimes, well, and uh, playfully evil, uh, I would say Stephen Hawking. Well, okay. He, he was that too, right? <laughs> he, he, was, he was a prankster, that one. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's just something about Stephen that, that just has at least a little bit of evil.
1: You know, it's funny because Parham said to me the other day, he, the, he said... You know, Stephen. Whenever I talk to you, I feel like I'm talking to a supervillain. And I said that might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me.
2: <laughs> that is a really good compliment.
1: He's so. like, I, I'm so proud of that. I've, I've, I've meet, met my life goal of being a supervillain.
2: I mean, lately, one of my my big role models has has been Rick Sanchez from uh, Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. Like, yep. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that guy. I mean. Without the, the self-loathing and, uh, although I'll take all the alcoholism, right? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, you know, I make my friends laugh. I'm like, yeah, Rick's a revelation, right? That's the way we all should all be living. And they're like, okay, Steven. <laughs>
1: Well, the other one, uh, Venture Brothers, that starts up too. Oh yeah, yeah, And that's yeah. Uh, that's a little. Uh, now we're totally on a tangent, but that mm-hmm. actually was Rick and Morty before Rick yeah, and Morty. Yeah, it was definitely it's Rick and uh, Morty before Rick It's a little bit more lighthearted though. Yeah, yeah. But it in the same. Archer, it's Archer. He, he's yeah, Archer is another great one. Yep.
2: Another great role model, and in...
1: he's yeah, he's actually really good though. Yeah. Oh yes, all of our, all of the famous role models are all the, all the people you don't want to be. Right, right, right. <laughs> In the cartoon universe, yeah. you might want to be these people. So anyhow, so that's anti-paladin is Steven. That is that is very good to know. It's I,
2: I'm going to keep on rolling with that. until Even if Lisa comes and tells me, no, Steven, that's not true, I'm going to be all like, it is in my universe. There you okay. go. There that's, you all go. That, that's all that matters. <laughs> so,
1: and we'll wrap up in a little while, but say we go through the pet play test, mm-hmm. we're going to give you all this feedback. Yes. Now what? Like, what are you guys going to be doing on the back end how are you going to go through all of this? And then when do you really have to get it ready to get the book out for next year? Because I imagine it's going to take a while to go through, test it internally, right? lay it out, write it, yeah. lay it out, and then ship it to printers. So you're going to have to get done sooner than probably oh, yeah. people think. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, it, uh, in a, a scary amount of speed. Um, although we, we've we also done a lot to prepare for it. So So right now... Uh, everybody's got the playtest documents in their hands, or are about to get the playtest documents in their hands. Those of you who don't want the shiny books, you download it uh, off, off of our website, give it a try. We've already taken, not only have we already taken all of that, that text that went through the various um, uh, uh, layout and, 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 and sort of data mined all of that out into the raw files again, um, we've already put in a, a, a fair amount of little bits and points of errata uh, that, that, that we found in, in the months and weeks uh, you know, before this come out. So if you notice some errata in there, kids, uh, definitely point it out, but chances are we've, we've already found it. It's, it. it's in the new draft. Um, And then what happens is we basically just do a whole lot of listening. As as the first surveys come in, we start collating them, looking at uh, uh, the various information in various different ways, confirming some uh, uh, suspicions or fears that we have, or maybe, you know, finding new ones. Then it's a process of the four of us coming up with, okay, we, we know we have a problem here how can we solve it and usually the way that process works is we all sit around in a meeting and argue for a bit right um because one of the great things about the pathfinder design team is we all come at it from a from a a a, a different and and perspective and point of view like the way i go about things is very different than the way mark goes about things and and uh, and uh but the convergence of all those points of views usually uh, comes to a really good solution. And and the convergence of all of those points of views with the playtest feedback um, is, is only going to strengthen that process. And so as we argue, uh, a lot of times we'll split up and we will go off on various tangents uh, to figure out exactly uh, what kind of system we want. And that involves actually writing out the draft. Writing out the draft, all of us taking a look at it, commenting on it, uh, having other teams do the same thing. There is some question whether or not we'll be doing blogs that you know where we present possible solutions and see uh, what the fans think about it uh, as we go on. But my guess is you'll probably see at least some of that, uh, especially on some of the, the bigger systems that we know are contentious, like Resonance. And then it it's uh, involved when we make decisions, putting that back in the draft uh, or putting that into the new... The new expanded draft, because the other thing about the playtest book is we had to cut out a whole bunch of stuff that we designed um, just to make it fit and and make it focused enough uh, for the playtest. And so we're going to put all that in, make sure it talks to the you know how, how it's been developed and 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 in some cases redesigned, and then it's got to go to editing again to make sure you know we didn't leave all sorts of weird stray typos and uh, which happens mostly when you're working very fast and then it will go through the new layout it'll be you know uh, i i i read uh, one of my facebook friends commenting on how sketchy this layout was and it's all uh, yeah it's a play test we we thought we were being clever you the no, it looks
1: like it. it's like a blueprint yeah it's a blueprint yeah.
2: um and what you're going to get for the final layout is going to be much uh you know shinier and 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 crisp and everything else and i I've, I've seen at least some prototypes and it looks amazing and then hands off of it i don't know exactly and i think uh they might not be telling me the date just not to scare the hell out of me which (laughs) is good like i can i can get the crap scared out of me later it's gonna have to be
1: done sooner than you think sooner
2: sooner than i think so so basically i'm not gonna have a lot of free time uh for the nobody at paizo is gonna have a lot of free time for when
1: do you actually every time i talk to you guys we're like we're busy right now you're always busy
2: you know, and I i think that's how our bosses get us. It's all like, well, you know, you just get through this process. Well, even maybe like Starfinder, time. like,
1: you guys don't seem to be busy enough. Can we give you a brand new system to build? Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> you know, I really need to start talking to our executive team and go, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and and supposedly, because we've got to work on, uh, as we do this, we have to come up with a a full final bestiary for the release as well, because, you know, kids need monsters to play with.
1: and a new adventure
2: path. And a new adventure path.
1: And And, new Pathfinder Society
2: scenarios. Yeah, yeah. You know, I should get another job. This sounds way too hard, (laughs) (laughs)
1: though. It does sound... Yeah, but if you're just doing... uh, Well, you're not just doing, but if you're doing the mechanics... You let yeah. everyone else worry about uh coming up with the adventures oh and the but that's theory.
2: that's not true because they come to us for that too it's oh, all like okay. you know we're you know we're doing the mechanics oh but we need a playtest adventure so Got all it. of us wrote a chapter in the playtest right, adventure right. um i've written two adventure paths in in the period of time that i've been working on this thing because you know on on my free time
0: yeah. well, um, sleep
2: is overrated yeah sleep is overrated <laughs> i actually really enjoy sleep but yeah it, it but maybe that's because I don't yeah, I'm not getting enough of it. Maybe ah. you, know, it's a, you like the thing that you don't have.. No. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's going to be a crazy few months, um, But I do have to say that watching a whole bunch of people play a new game and seeing smiles light up and, and wheels turning and everything else uh, does make it worthwhile.
1: So I don't know if this is public or not, but I'll ask it anyhow. So sure. what is going to happen with the timeline? Because a lot of people oh. have actually even been asking me. Yeah. Thinking I know, I'm like I actually don't know either. So let me find out. Um, like, because does does it just does it start over? Does it end? Does it continue? Like, what's going to happen with when Pathfinder two comes? So.
2: Out? So, we've got a, a a basic thing that every year in real time is a, right. is 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 a year in the world. and or the organized play system works on that sort of thing. Um, uh, uh, that is the main assumption. Now, of course, we've got ten years of an addition of of things that have occurred but have not been resolved, um, various adventure paths and and whatnot when we start talking about Valerian again in, uh, in in second edition products when you start getting your first you know campaign setting books and, and and stuff like that we are going to uh make decisions about what those final things were like what what was the end of rise of the Ruin? like what what were the consequences of that and a lot of it is going to be hey what do you know the pc succeeded and a lot of it's going to be what do you know the pc succeeded but, right, um, and, and then we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing with the new adventure paths and, and moving that forward.
1: So you still didn't quite answer the question. So it's going to continue, though. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So in other words, because the next two adventure paths are pretty out there, you have the conclusion of the rise of the return of the rune lords. Right, right. Which sounds like it's going to shake things up. Yep. And then you got uh, Tar Bathon breaking mm-hmm. out of prison, and God knows what he's going to do. Oh and yeah, that's going to probably mess things up. So it sounds like it's one of those... But people are worried, like, well, are they going to destroy the world and start over? Or no. are they just going to mess up the world and start from there?
2: Um, I think certain bad guys are going to poop on certain parts of the world. And then we're going we're to continue on. We're not going to have any sort of world-shattering event. We are going to have regions that... Uh, threats uh, that have been hinted to for a long time are going to become manifest. And that's going to have an effect on the map and the people but in in, in smaller rather than the grander scales
1: okay yeah and then with pathfinder societies people have asked me about that has it been decided that so when it starts next year is it just going to be
2: 2.0 i don't think so i um i i'm i'm not as positive about this one but i think that uh um uh the one uh, the first edition pathfinder society is going to go on for a little bit just to okay. to allow people to to finish up storylines and because I've heard because that's of, a lot of content. Yeah, I've heard yeah.
1: some people worried that it's like going to just do an overnight switch. No, and I was like, yeah. that seemed like a little. I mean, first of all, you have hundreds of stories. I feel right. like they need a little bit more lead time, at least for society play. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even we, if they, they come out for two a month. They could come out with one. First edition, one second edition, right. until they like get the whole transition over. I would yeah,
2: imagine. I I don't know exactly how right. how it's. We're just guessing. That, uh, just guessing yeah. at this point. Um, but from from what I've been told, the, the gist is that uh, uh, P one Pathfinder Society will, will will go on for a bit after okay. uh, second edition Pathfinder Society starts.
1: So we'll wrap up, but I have one question to ask everyone. Yeah. So. And everyone has a different answer, but it sounds like you've already even answered it without realizing it. Oh, your answer might be very fascinating. So, what is it about role playing? Role playing is fascinating. It's like I've been doing it for forty-one years. Yeah, I love it. You obviously love it oh, too. Yeah. yeah, but yet in the end of the day, all you're doing is sitting around talking, rolling dice, like you said, and on the kitchen table, right? Saying I killed a dragon. Yeah, and yet, as you said, when Eric Mona starts screaming, yelling when his characters dies, and I'm sure we've all been there. I've had really big fights at the the table. I've lost friends at the table, and I'm like, why? Tables have
2: been flipped. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm like,
1: what is it about this silly thing that we do, that we just sit there talking, rolling dice, and yet it gets people insane. It can get people both insanely excited and insanely upset. It is so emotional. Yeah. More than a board game. Somewhat more than the video game depends on the video game, you know, but like right, right, yeah, right. But you know what I mean? It's like it's just something about it that really it, we talk about it all the time. It's like if we had to get rid of all of our games, yeah. Like it's like okay, if you could only play one game forever, almost everyone's always like, oh, I'll choose you know a Pathfinder or a role playing game because it goes on forever, right. And it's infinite, and yet it's and it's more fun than all the other ones. Oh but yeah. Why? Yeah. Why is that? Do you think? And why There's... do people get so emotional?
2: Because the greatest thing about the human experience is our imagination, right? And imagination is so powerful and being, and, and so necessary for our existence, if you think about it, right? Imagination probably first started out just so we could go, oh crap, there's, there's a jaguar in that tree. Uh, I imagine that if I walk under it, it's gonna, it's gonna come down on me. I'd better not do that. Role playing and any kind of fantasy is 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 like the greatest drug of imagination. It's it's I I only have limits to it that I accept, right? My limits aren't actually in the real world, right? I I I accept this game system, so these are the limits and and the horizons that I get to live in, and and so it's almost like creating a little mini existence within your within your head and your friend's head. And, you know, and that's both very powerful and and very uh, seductive. Uh, And so, of course, it becomes important. Uh, 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 Of course, it's frustrating when you don't get what you want. Darn it. I worked all this time to make sure that my imagination would get me that plus five sword. Why am I not getting that damn plus five sword? It's probably because of you, jerk. You didn't give me that plus five sword. Your
1: imagination got in way of my right, imagination. Right, right. You,
2: you're creating little pocket dimensions of, of emotion in your mind. And if you step back and you're like, you know, this is all make believe, but that's the point. It's all make believe. It's friggin' fantastic. Um, uh, you know, it's, it, it's the, wor- you know, there, there's this old saying that I, I love, that, that friends are, 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 are family that you get to pick. Um, well, fantasy is reality that you get to pick. And, and that's what that's what makes it so seductive and so fun and sometimes so, so emotional.
1: Yeah, that's actually probably, I've heard this answer a lot. That is one of the more fascinating answers I've heard so far is that I mean, if you think about it, most things are imagination, like books, oh yeah, movies, even music in a mm-hmm. way, you know, um, art. But you know, a lot of people use it without realizing it. But here, it's it's storytelling, yeah, and yeah. obviously, and very said primal. This, yeah, very primal. Like yeah. it's something that has probably been in our DNA longer than anything else before language, not no, written language. Yeah, before obviously, you know, movies and. Photos and anything, you know, in that realm for obviously computer games. Right, right, right. So it's almost like it's funny because it's only been around true role playing in this sense for like, what, 50 years approximately? Yeah, yeah. Officially. Officially. But yet it's been in our DNA for millions of years, you know. So it's one of these, it's almost like, okay, here's how to use your imagination with rules. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I I mean, in some ways all games are, 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 are role playing games. It's just you have to figure out what the role is um chess is a role playing game where you are a young scion learning that people are expendable right which you're like <laughs> jesus that's terrible um uh but that's that's what that game started out in, you know um snakes and ladders is it's, it's 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 you and this is you and karma right I, I mean every single game has that aspect to it for the most part we a lot of those games are so abstract that you don't you don't think about that aspect to it um Role-playing games kind of turn the table on that. It's all about you. It's all about your imagination. It's all about your character, um, and so I think that's, uh, you know, people get uh, emotional enough about chess, right? But when when it's your alter ego on the line, you're that's you, man. It, it, it's it, it's very visceral.
1: Well, thanks so much, Stephen. Oh, I'm you. sure I'll be talking to you again as we get close to the release. If, if you're my still pleasure. alive and breathing. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> it, well, if I can get at a, uh, out from under my pile of, of playtest uh, feedback and survey results and, and whatnot.
1: And yeah. at the minimum, actually, we need to get you on our podcast of Dead Sons because you wrote The Fifth Adventure. Yep. So we're going to at the, the minimum have you on for that. That'd
2: be great. Yeah, I'd love that. All right.
1: Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Steve here. So there's my interview with Stephen Radney McFarlane. Do come back in a couple weeks slash months. I will do a follow-up interview with him, and we'll talk more about the Pathfinder playtest as it continues, see what they think about the feedback, how it's being adjusted and changed for the final release. In addition, I will be talking to other people, the Paizo staff, so do check out the website, RollForCombat.com as well as the podcast, where we both play the Dead Suns Adventure Path, Pathfinder Playtest, and Starfinder Society on a regular basis, as well as interview people from Paizo about all aspects of role-playing. If you're interested in Role for Combat, do check out our Facebook and Twitter feed. Also check out the YouTube channel if you prefer to watch it that way. Of course, we have a Reddit channel and the website itself, where we do extensive reviews of all of the Paizo releases, for example, there's a huge review of the Pathfinder Playtest. If you haven't read that, do check that out. We also have a column that comes out every Thursday called Talking Combat and where we talk about not only our show, but just playing role-playing games in general. So check that out as well. And finally, if you actually want to play some games, do check out the Role for Combat Discord channel. You just have to go to discord.rollforcombat.com. We have mostly play-by-post games there. We're running a ton of games right now, but on occasional, we do have live games. Plus, if you just want to talk about Pathfinder Playtest in general or anything Paizo-related, come on by. We have a very active community. Otherwise, thanks for listening to the show, and I'll talk to you later.
0: You've been listening to Roll for Combat, a Starfinder actual play podcast. If you have a question or comment for the show, please visit us at RollForCombat.com or drop us a line at contact at RollForCombat.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, and other social media platforms. You've been listening to Roll for Combat. Until next week, always remember that your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries.